0: Good morning. The scripture reading today is in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. You can follow along with me if you'd like in your Bible or in your Bible app. John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch to me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning, online, on the couch, on the trail, around the dining room table, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us this morning. I uh, I am thrilled that you've made the choice to worship with us today. I, I do want to remind you that if you're tuning in online, make sure that you head over and like our social media pages: uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, it's one of the critical ways we're staying connected and pushing on information during this time. You can also join Trailhead Men, Trailhead Women uh, on uh, Facebook. Those are groups that allow our folks to communicate, share prayer requests, encourage each other, and share resources. So head over there and, and tune in. All right, we, we launched this new sermon series last week. Um, uh, being filled in the spirit, and, and and this was prompted really uh, as as I just have been wrestling along with everybody about what it's like to work our way through this season. Right, it's kind of an exhausting time to be alive. Honestly, the pandemic is exhausting. The stress is exhausting. The social distancing is so old. Um, Zoom meetings. I don't have enough bad words to talk about Zoom meetings um, and people. People. People are. Exhausting. Social media is is exhausting, um, not because social media itself, but because of, of just the vitriol and the, the anger and, and um, the, the ignorance. You know what I'm saying? Like It, it is just, and, and there are always a few people, always a few people that, that, I don't know how, but they always find their way to my feed, right? I've got like, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen hundred 1,500 friends on Facebook, and I don't know how these people always end up on my feed, but, but they do. And it just, I get this tightness in my chest. You know what I'm saying? Like, I gotta just go and, and, and climb into my prayer closet in order to be normal again. Um, this is a tough time, right? This is a tough time, and we need to be filled with the Spirit, right? I want you to consider for a moment what it must have been like for Jesus, right? Like, for real, just consider for a moment what it was like to be Jesus, right? Every day, his timeline, every day, his timeline was filled with ignorant people, right? Now, he didn't have social media. I know he didn't have social media. It's a metaphor, right? Like every day of his normal life, he was surrounded by people that would provoke him Right? He was surrounded by people who misrepresented him, who lied about him, who misrepresented his words and twisted them against him, who tried to trap him in his words, who tried to create memes that, that would divide his followers. Right? He was he was surrounded by people that that, that were fearful of his authority, his power, of his agenda, what, what he was going to do to their economy, what he was going to do to their to their right. So so they attacked him, they misrepresented him. But it wasn't just his enemies, it was it was his followers. Right? His his best friends were continually trying to correct him and redirect him and, and 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 advise him, which was their way of basically saying, we think you're getting it wrong and this is how you get it right. He was surrounded continually by people created in the image of God who were no longer living out the imaging responsibility. They were in competition with God instead of humble dependence on God. And as a result, there was no human interaction that Jesus had that didn't provoke him in some way because he was God, right? The original stuff as well as being the image of God, right? He was God and man and and as God and man, fully God, fully man, he never met another person created in the image of God who was actually bearing that image in a way that honored it. He was facing blasphemies. Of, of people who were created in the image of God, but not living out that image every single day. And you know what's, what's amazing? He never said, all right, that was enough. He never said, you know what, now I'm done. I'm done, you people. I am done with you people. You are just willfully ignorant. I'm done with you people. You are, you are, you are just intentionally stupid. I am done with you people because, because you, you, you want to be destroyed by the lies that you're creating. He never did. He woke up every single day and loved every single person he encountered. Those that that were his friends, those that were his false friends, and those that were his enemies. And some of you are gonna be like, yeah, but Steve, he was God. And I'm not, I don't have a supernatural capacity for stupidity like, like he did. All right, listen. First of all, that's a cop-out. That's a total cop-out. And our passage today shows us um, that the reality is we're called to do it, but not just to love others, but to tap into the same energy and the same strength that equipped him to love others. We are to follow Jesus by imitating Jesus, by, by entering into God's master plan for change. God's master plan to change you and transform you and ultimately to change the world and transform the world. Last week, we took a look at the command um, to be filled with the Spirit, right? Don't, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with with what's not going to ultimately um, glorify God or lead you to what you want, right? That's dissipation. In other words, that, that can't get you what you actually, what's a waste, right? No, be filled with with the Spirit. This week, we're going to be looking at this idea of, of abiding in the vine. And, and I would propose to you that these actually are the same thing. Abiding in the vine and being filled with the Spirit are, are two different ways about talking about the same thing. They're, they're two ways that, 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 that it really is talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives. And, and some of you are going to be like, well, Steve, we, we just heard the passage and the Spirit wasn't even mentioned in this passage. How can it be a passage about the Holy Spirit when, when the Holy Spirit isn't even in it? And I would say, yeah, actually he is in it. He's all over it, right? The reality is the father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine and the Holy Spirit is the sap that flows from the vine to us that brings us the transformative power, right? I I wanna show you a verse. This is from John 16, seven. So just one chapter after what we just read. It's in the same conversation. He says this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking. It's to your advantage that I leave. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the the Greek word paraclete means helper or, or encourager. It's the Holy Spirit. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, this is so crazy that Jesus starts it off by saying, look, I'm actually really telling you the truth. Right? I tell you the truth. I'm going away and it's better that I do. You ever been in one of those moments where you're like, man, if Jesus was just here, if I could just, and, and the response is always the same, better than Jesus already is. It is to your advantage that I go away because then the spirit will come, the helper, the one who will equip you to do all this stuff that we're talking about right now. I am the vine, but he is the sap. He is, he is what actually flows between us that brings energy and power and, 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 and equips you to experience transformative love. So, so what does this passage tell us about tapping into the strength of the sap? What does this passage about the vine tell us about abiding in the spirit, about, about engaging this thing that we so desperately need? Um, so I'm going to go through a series of principles that come out of, this, out of this passage. First of all, if we're going to tap into his strength, we need to embrace our weakness. If we're going to tap into his strength, we need to actually learn how to embrace our weakness. Let's take a look at John 15:4 and 5. Uh, I'll reread these verses for us. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so there's a simple metaphor uh, in, in, in Jesus's language here. I am the vine, you are the branches. And unless you abide in the vine, you, you can't bear fruit right? It's a pretty simple idea. A branch can only bear fruit if it stays connected to, to the vine, right? It's basic common sense. If you break the branch off the vine, it's not going to bear you any fruit, right? It's, it's been broken off from the source of its energy and its life. It's, it's not going to give you what you want. And yet, I would propose to you that we actually do this all the time, right? We, we do this all the time. We try to get the fullness of life apart from the God who gives that fullness. We, we try to, to change ourselves for God. We, we try to bear fruit without staying connected to the vine, right? And, and, and there are really religious ways of doing this, right? We, 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 we turn the fruit of the Spirit into like a self-improvement list, you know what I'm saying? Like, like love, okay, joy, doing okay, uh, uh, peace, hmm, I, I'm doing okay, patience, oh man, not doing so well with patience. I'm going to work harder on that one. I've actually seen people take the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and turn it into a list where, where of, of character qualities that they're going to grow in, right? They, and they, they rate themselves and they, here's the thing, y'all, we're going to talk more about this next week. But, but that's a complete misuse of this passage and, and, and misses it, right? We're going to be talking about this passage next week, but I just want to highlight one thing. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, right? These aren't each individual little fruits that, that come from, from being in the Spirit. It is the fruit, singular, that, that the Spirit produces in you when you are relationally connected to Him, right? The, there's one fruit, And it's important that they're called fruit and not works. These aren't aren't works you perform. These aren't self-improvement projects in which you get better at living. They're fruit, right? Fruit is the byproduct of abiding in the vine. Fruit is what is produced when I am connected in a healthy way to the vine and feeding on its sap. Fruit isn't grown by focusing on the fruit. You know, like like fruit, <laughs> the branch that isn't connected to the vine, doesn't matter how much it wants to produce fruit. The fruit is grown when we focus on the vine. The fruit is the byproduct of being deeply and 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 truly connected, relationally connected to the vine. And, and that's Jesus' point. In fact, he takes it a little bit further. He says, he says, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? apart from me, you can do nothing. And and let's be honest, we just don't believe that. There's a lot of things we can do apart from God. We get up in the morning and the first thing we do is we don't think about our dependence on God. We don't think about, we just, all right, today I'm going to be productive or today I'm going to be creative or today I'm going to be funnier today I'm going to be friendlier, or, right? There's a lot of things we can do apart from, from God. And, 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 and he's not saying that that we're helpless, right? There's a common grace that allows us to, to live and to breathe and to, to, to work out our lives, even if we're far from God, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you can't produce anything that actually is, is connected to the transformative fruit of the Spirit, apart from humble dependence on him. You, you can do a lot of things, you can produce a lot of things, but none of them will be the transformative fruit of that comes from a deep relationship with Jesus through, through the power of the Spirit, right? The fruit is a transformed heart that finds its strength and its approval and its joy and its security in its relation to God. And this fruit, this true transformative fruit, only comes when, when we embrace our weakness when we approach God in desperate need of grace. When we approach God as performers and doers, when we approach God in our strength, we show up with our resume. Right, We're sitting across from God and we slide our resume across the table and we're like, Take a look at all the ways I've improved this week. Look, look at all the good things I've done. Look, look at the religious behaviors I've manifested. Look at the ways I've defeated these bad things that were in my life. And, and, and aren't I doing good? Huh? 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 And, and kind of what we're saying is, I think I'm due for a raise, right? I think I'm due for some, some reward. When, when we show up as performers, we're looking for a wage. We're, we're looking for a benefit. We're looking for a reward. When we show up in our need, it's totally different. When we show up in our our need, man, we show up and we're going to say things like, I've got nothing for you. I've got nothing to offer you. I've got nothing to impress you with. All I've got is my need. Like I'm showing up and I've got nothing but my need. But I believe you love me anyway. And that's why I'm here. I believe Jesus died for my sin and that he rose again in victory over my guilt and that you, as you have promised, have covered me in his righteousness. I believe you. I believe that you love me because you love Jesus. I, I believe that you, you, you see me covered in Jesus because I've believed in Jesus and I'm here To receive what you have promised. I bring you nothing but need. I bring you nothing but need. But I am here because I believe that you are a God who keeps his promises. And you have promised not only to give me Jesus' record. You have promised to give me Jesus' character. You have promised not just to cover me positionally in his righteousness, so that when you look at me, you see his clean record, not, not my guilty one. You, you have promised to actually change me, right? To transform me so that I am set free from the things that enslave me and torture me and, and, and betray me into the fullness of the beauty of what Christ has won for me. I am here with nothing to offer, but I am here. And by faith, I trust That even though I have nothing to offer, I will receive everything in Christ. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Isn't it a hard thing to do to come to God with nothing? To come before him with nothing but your need and to trust that you will be received? To to show up with nothing but your shame? At times, nothing but your guilt? Nothing but your sin in need of forgiveness? and trust that you will be received in love. Man, it is a hard thing to do to show up spiritually naked, exposed, vulnerable, humble. The only way we're going to do it, y'all, the only way we're going to do it is if we have faith that He loves us, not for our performance, but for Christ's. In order to tap into His strength, we need to embrace our weakness. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we do that then? How do we do that? How do we find the strength to show up without strength? How do we find the courage to show up in our shame? How do we do this when everything in us repels against us, against it? The only way we're going to be able to do it is if we know how profoundly we are loved by the Father because of the work of the Son, right? John fifteen eight and 9 says this. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus was was loved by the Father. And he says, I abided i abide in my father's love right i am loved by the father i abide in my father's love and 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 as the father loves me jesus says so i love you so now you abide in my love abide in it remain in it let it engulf you let it surround you let it swallow you remain abide in my love So Jesus is telling us to remain in his love. And and, and that should be like the easiest command in the world to follow, shouldn't it? Right? It's hard for me not to covet my neighbor's things when my neighbor has a Corvette. Right? That's a hard command to obey. The command to abide in his love, that should be an easy command to obey. You know what I'm saying? Like, Like what's better than abiding in the infinite, eternal love of God? The the approval of God, the delight of God. I mean, that, that should be the easiest thing in the world, but it's harder than it sounds. You know why? Because we have restless hearts and rebellious wills. And abiding in his love forces us to confront and repent of our restless hearts and to confront and repent of our rebellious wills, to abide in his love requires us to, to, in that love, confront the core of our rebellion against God. See, when mankind rebelled against God, when we rebelled against God, at the heart of that rebellion was a desire to be independent from God. As Genesis chapter 3 puts it, to be like God. Right? We don't want to be humbly dependent on God. We want to be independent of God. We want to be like God. We want to fulfill our own needs. We want to provide for our own security. We want to mark the boundaries of our own glory. We want to be like God. And in our pride, we crave. We crave to earn something. We crave to win something. We, we crave, because, because when we do we feel like it's something we can point at and say, Look, 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 look. I deserve. I've earned. I am worthy. You owe me. At the heart of our sin is a desire to be independent from God. So there's something really, really insightful here that I think is helpful to us. Jesus is telling us to do what he has already done, right? He was fully God, fully God, fully human. Right? And as human, he had to abide in his father's love to live out his humanness to the glory of his father. He had to abide in his father's love. He had to, he had to be fed on his father's love right? to be filled with the fruit of the spirit he abided in his father's love and and that that was the conduit through which the sap of the spirit produced within him the fullness of the the fruit of the spirit he was god but as human he still walked in comp- complete submission to god he 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 walked in complete dependence on God. He even said, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do, right? That he, he walked in complete dependence. And now what he says to us as his followers is, you need to do what, what I've done. You need to imitate not just what I've done, but how I did it. You, you need to actually do life like I have modeled for you that it should be done. Listen, when Jesus says we need to come in complete weakness, that's not a punishment for our sin. That's not a rejection of our value. It is the original intent of our creation. We were never meant to be independent from God. To earn from God what he only freely gives by grace. We were designed to receive the gifts to his glory and our good. Without a need to ever earn or perform what he freely gives in love. He says, if you abide in my love, you will be fruitful. You will find a supernatural power of fruitfulness that will actually equip you not only to receive love, but to love, right? That's the next principle that flows out of this. Let's take a look at John fifteen, ten through 12. It says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. All right, so you get here and it's like, Steve, wait, there seems like there's a switch going on here, right? Because first it was saying, come in your weakness and abide in my love, right? Be, be loved the same way the Father has loved me, be loved by me, right? And now it's saying that, that if I keep his commandments, then I'll abide, right? That, that, it's kind of like, which is it, right? Which is it? Do I abide in his love by believing the good news that he loves me by grace? Or do I abide in his love by obeying his commandments? The answer is both. Right? And that just means we need to understand what's being said here. Listen, grace isn't opposed to obedience. Grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It's a very, very different posture. Right? This will take effort. Being filled with the Spirit takes effort. To, to walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, we'll look at that next week, that takes effort. To abide in the vine, that, that takes effort. Effort. It is going to require us to, to exercise our will to engage our heart, right? It's going to take effort, but that's very different from earning. Earning is exerting effort with the attempt to gain a reward or in debt God to us in some way. That's legalism and, 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 and that undercuts the power of grace, right? So we need to be willing to push in to obey in order to grow in the benefit of what Christ has won for us. But I want to be clear about what obedience looks like here, right? We're not just talking about generic uh, obedience, right? He's very clear. He says, you need to obey my commands to abide in my love. And what is my command? That you love one another. Y'all, this is the dynamic power of grace. This is how love works, right? We receive unearned love from God, and that makes us free. That, That equips us to set aside our pride our need to perform and to pretend, and our, our, our need to get approval or affirmation from others to feel like we're validated. No, we already have the validation of love because, because we have grace, right? We've received that freely because of the work of Christ. We don't need to perform. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to posture. We don't need to compete, right? We can just rest in the love that's been given to us in grace. And that makes, that makes it safe for us to be humble and vulnerable and honest And then it makes it possible for us to love others instead of compete with others. To love others instead of defeat others. To love others instead of despise others. It it equips us to to love as we have been loved. I I no longer have to compare myself to you to validate my worth. And as a result, I I don't have to compete with you to get my glory. I, I don't have to compare myself or defeat you in some way to find my security. Because my security comes from the love of an infinite God who has placed his delight upon me. I don't have to, I don't have to um, uh, make you look bad to silence my shame. Because my shame's already been removed because I have the infinite love of God covering me. I have the full acceptance of God. My shame is no longer mine. I'm now covered in his glory, his love, his acceptance, right? So I can look at you and instead of being provoked by your brokenness, I can have pity. For your brokenness. I can identify with your brokenness because I I have the same brokenness in me, and I can also see your glory because we're all a glorious ruin. We have the glory of our original creation being created in the image of God and we all bear the mar of the great rebellion, our rebellion against God, the the darkness of sin, the the, the darkness of selfishness and and, and our need to compete and compare and to to degrade and and to, you know what I'm saying? Like, Like we all are that glorious ruin. It allows me to look at your glorious ruin instead of despising you. I can feel gratitude not only because he's met me in my glorious ruin, but because he has the power to meet you in in yours, because he is the God who redeems the glory and removes the ruin, right? That's what the gospel is. That's why Jesus died and rose again, so that he could meet us in our brokenness, deliver us from it by having paid the price for it, and to deliver us into the fullness of his glory that covered him in his resurrection. He did it for me he did it for you listen that's my treasure my greatest treasure isn't something i own it's not something that's accumulating in some account my greatest treasure isn't isn't something i've achieved or produced my greatest treasure isn't isn't somebody's praise of me my greatest treasure has been given to me by grace by god through christ a new identity a new record an an alien righteousness that I could never achieve on my own I am covered in the very obedience and righteousness of Christ and when God looks at me all the delight he has for Christ is mine that is my greatest treasure because that not only frees me from everything I could never fix it frees me into everything I could never earn I have received the greatest blessing the universe has to offer because I have received the approval of the creator God himself. That's my greatest treasure. That is my greatest hope. And when I look at you, I long for you. That that you might allow him to give you that same gift. That you might allow him to do in you that same work. That you would allow him to love you in that same ridiculous, crazy way. So here's the thing with love, y'all. It's not a thing you can keep without giving away. You can't keep love unless you give love, right? My dad gave me horrible advice when I first started dating. Um, he said, make sure whoever you're with that, that you love them more than they love you. Just make sure they love you more than you love them. And that, that's kind of a power play. That's a self-protection play. That's a way of saying that that I, I always have a, like, like I got something vested here, but you have more vested, right? Which, which, protects me in some ways right maybe it allows me to manipulate you in ways to get what i want maybe it protects me if you decide to betray me i I don't know But, but what i can tell you is this that's not the way love works it's just not the way love works um you can't receive love without giving love you can't receive love without giving love love dies if that's what you try to do. I've seen so many people in marriages where one person um, to protect themselves or out of pride or out of some place of hurt, they shut down their heart and basically say, I'm no longer gonna receive your love. I'm no longer gonna be vulnerable enough, available to you to receive your love. And what it does is it kills their ability to love because they can't receive love. Now that person may still love them. But they're no longer equipped to receive that love. As soon as they stopped saying, I will love you, it it killed their ability to be loved by them. You must grow in your ability to give love if you're going to grow in your ability to experience it. Now this creates all kinds of problems, doesn't it? I know what my social media feed looks like right now, and I know what provokes my heart. I I know what people have hurt me. I know what people have betrayed me. I know what people have have in some ways taken advantage of the good things I offered and then and then ran up with them. You know what I'm saying? Like like betrayed me, abused me, hurt me. What about evil people? What about people who hurt people I love? What about racists? Right? What about what about people that that Take economic advantage of others. What about people who exploit others, right? What about evil people? What about people that are willfully ignorant, that could be educated, they just choose not to be? Shouldn't we get angry? Well, that's a complicated question, but the answer is yes, we should get angry, right? Because anger and love are not mutually exclusive. You can love and be angry. Jesus got angry and he never stopped loving, right? James tells us that, that to be angry but sin not, right? There's a way to be angry without sinning. Scott Sauls gives us, I think, a really good clarifying thought. This is from his book, um, the one that just came out, A Gentle Answer. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. He says this, righteous anger attacks problems, not people. Unrighteous anger attacks people, thus creating more and bigger problems. Righteous anger attacks problems, not people. Righteous anger is vented toward the injustice while remaining in a posture of love, even toward those who bring the injustice. And I know, I know, some of you are like, Steve, this is asking too much. I can't do that. I, I can't, I can't do that. And I, I'm, You know what? I know, right? I mean, it's way too much. You can't do this. I can't do this. You're helpless to do this. I'm helpless to do this. That's why we need to come in our need. That's why we need to come in our, our, our helplessness. We can't love like this, which is exactly why we need to be loved like this. Because it is the love that we receive from God that equips us to love like God. This isn't a work we do for God. This is part of the fruit of the Spirit have been when, when when we are loved by God. Right, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Love is the chief fruit that comes from being connected to the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being connected to the vine and receiving the sap, the energy of, of the Spirit. If you're going to push out in love toward unlovable people, you're only going to find that energy if you're continually pushing back to re-experience the love of God for you. In Christ, But y'all, I, I want to make it clear, this is the path. This isn't a path. This is the path for the follower of Christ. There is no other path for us to walk. There, there is no other way for us to grow in grace. This is the path. This is the only way that's been laid out by God. This is his plan for us to grow in grace. We need to grow in giving love if we're going to grow in our experience of transforming love. We must obey. God loves. Therefore, we must love even as we have been loved. We we can't give ourselves an out. We can't. We can't just, well, I'm not God. No, you're not. But you can do what Jesus did. He's commanding it and he's equipping you to do it. You can give others the gift of love. and, And here's the crazy thing is you learn to give others the gift of love. You grow in the riches of being loved. You expand your capacity for experiencing the infinite love of God. And it's through that process of being loved and pushing out in love and then pushing back to to renew yourself and being loved and then pushing out in love... That's the transformative power of God set loose in your life, right? That will set you free from greed and pride and fear and anger and shame and all the things that enslave you and all the things that rob you. Now, there's one final thing in our text that I want to highlight. This was something that really grabbed me when I was was studying for this morning. Um, This isn't just God's plan to transform you. Like it is that. This is God's plan to transform you. But, but it's way more than that. This is God's plan to transform the world. This. Like, like this is it. Right? He's got one basket with, with one egg. Right? This is it. I'm going to show you a verse that doesn't come from John 15. This actually comes from Isaiah 27. And it's verse 6. Let me show it to you. And then, then I'm going to explain to you why I'm showing it to you. It says, In the days to come... Jacob shall take root; Israel shall blossom, and put put forth shoots, and fill the whole world with fruit. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? All right, let me just remind you who Jacob is, right? Abraham, uh, the 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 patriarch who who entered into the great Abrahamic um, covenant with God. God promised to bless the entire world through Abraham, right? Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. Israel became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel who became the Old Testament covenant people of God, right? In the days to come, Jacob shall take root. There is this, this idea of the vine that runs throughout the Old Testament, This imagery where Israel is compared to a vine. And a lot of times when when the prophets talk about it, they're rebuking Israel for not being fruitful, right? They're they're talking about how the vine isn't fruitful. But, But our passage in Isaiah isn't a rebuke. It's a prophetic promise, right? In the days to come, there will come a time, God says, in the future. I predict it, I prophesy it, I promise it. Jacob shall take root. In other words, the vine will have a permanent root. It will be connected to the source of life. Israel shall blossom, right? There will be a a blossoming of flowers. It will put forth shoots, like, like this is a spreading vine that is filling the whole world with fruit. This is a prophetic promise, that promises nothing short than the complete and total redemption and restoration of the world. That life will once again be what God intended it to be. That the garden we lost will be restored. That, that everything we lost in the great rebellion be, will be restored to us in the great kingdom to come. It is against this rich Old Testament imagery that Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, right? This isn't just a random metaphor. It's tied to this rich Old Testament history in which Israel is continually compared to a vine and and its need for fruitfulness for the good of the world. I am the true vine, he says. I am. I. I am the son of Jacob. The true and better Jacob. I am the son of Abraham. The true and better seed. I am the true vine. Not you. And and because of my work. Because my death, burial, and resurrection has rooted you in the very blessing of God. The new covenant community that grows out of that work. The people of God. Bearing the fruit of the love of God will transform the very world. It will fill the world. Look, th- this is the promise that, that fulfills all of our desires. This is the promise for, for what we are all yearning for and fighting for in our lives. Listen to me. The fullness and the, and the fruitfulness of life restored. Not just for me as an individual, but for us collectively as a culture, as a community, so that the the different tribes and languages are now all operating in the same fruitfulness so that the cultures and the systems we create reflect those core values with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Also comes justice and equity and the fullness and flourishing of life and the purpose of productivity and the beauty of creation and the exploration of science all of those things find their fullness rooted in this fruitfulness y'all this is everything we're pursuing right now this is why some people are so passionate about the economy because they believe that if the economy is strong and there's a more money there will a flourishing economy will lead to a fruitfulness of life they're wrong They'll get some fruitfulness, there will be some benefits, but it won't lead you to this fruitfulness, right? We've seen that in the past. Incredibly rich economies and incredibly rich people aren't necessarily incredibly rich in genuine fruitfulness, not like we're describing. This is why some people are passionate about their specific candidate. If my person gets elected, then the right rules will be, be in place, the right laws will be passed, the right people will be silenced, and then we'll have the fullness and the flourishing of life. This is why some people are so passionate about their issue of social justice. If we can just get the right thing done and defeat the wrong people, if we can just defeat this evil and bring this good, then, listen, we are called To be salt and light. I am not a I'm not a a social pacifist. I'm not saying that we just check out and and wait for Jesus to come back. I'm not saying we don't engage. We have been called to be salt and light. In in, in New Testament times, salt preserved meat from decaying. We are to fight against the decay of our culture, the worst elements of human nature manifesting in decay of the goodness. Right? We are to be light. Light exposes what is unhealthy. Light exposes what is done in secret. Exposes individual and systemic evils that that feed off of the pain of people for, for personal benefit. We are to be salt and light right now. But our hope isn't in our ability to keep this world from rotting. Our hope isn't in our ability to turn on enough lights that enough enough um, uh, injustices is exposed. Our hope isn't in electing the right politician. Our hope isn't forcing through the right legislation. Our hope isn't in defeating the right enemy. Our hope, our one hope is right here. Because this is God's plan to redeem and restore. Love. Love is what will transform our hearts. And it is love that will transform the world. We are called to be salt and light. And we are called to do it in the very love let loose in our hearts through the work of the Father, through the death, burial, and resurrection of his Son, empowering us through the presence and indwelling of the Spirit. Listen, y'all, there is nothing small about small acts of love. There is nothing inconsequential about seeing the glory of of a person who is acting in their ruin. There is nothing insignificant about showing value to the image of God, even in people who are denying that image. Loving even as we've been loved. Loving our friends. Loving those in our circle of of commonality and loving our enemies. Loving even as we've been loved. That is how we are transformed. And that is how the whole world will be transformed. Let me close us in a word of prayer. And uh, we'll share communion. And um, we will continue worshiping with song. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. That you've given us this incredible invitation to feed off the benefit of what Jesus has won for us, to, to be branches connected to the vine. Lord, we know what we deserve. As much as we despise evil in others, we excuse it in ourselves. As much as we despise injustice in others, we, we have been part of systems and we have personally partaken in the benefits that have come in at the expense of, of injustice toward others. Lord, we... we We are on our own, hopelessly self-centered, self-focused, self-glorying, prideful, and small. And yet you love us. You sent Jesus to die for us and rise again on our behalf. And then you invite us to draw near, to feast on your love, and in feasting on your love, to be transformed by that love, and to be let loose into this world to love. Lord, right now, our world needs us to be bold in our kingdom identities. Right now, our culture is desperate for us to be true salt and light. Not simply calling out injustices, but manifesting the genuine love of God. Not, not just calling for reform, but doing it in a way that highlights our true and genuine hope. Lord, let us be people who are bold on behalf of those who are abused by the injustices of this world, but let us be even bolder in the love we receive from you. We know in the end, Lord, that if, if any genuine fruit is going to come from our efforts, if any genuine fruit is going to come from our passion, if any genuine fruit is going to come from our work, it will come from humble dependence on you. It will come in a loving response to your love. It'll come as we learn to love others even as we've been loved. Free us in this love, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. We'll now continue worshiping.